In many parts of the world, June is Pride Month. On social media, our feeds have turned technicolor as users, influencers, and brands work to demonstrate their support of the LGBTQ community. This year, brands in particular are working harder to show that support as the expectations of them are heightened. With more consumers aware of the concepts of rainbow washing and allyship, they've learned to better discern what it truly means to be an ally all year round and not just to check a box. Not only are consumers watching closely, but they're calling out brands and their leaders who are here for sticker value only, while not doing all that they can to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's not enough for a company to say that they are an ally. Audiences want brands to prove it. As it becomes more and more imperative for organizations to take intentional steps to create diverse and inclusive workplaces, platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram, and Zoom are also making changes. All now provide users a way to easily share their gender pronouns. Job candidates and employers are also ensuring gender pronouns have a place in the workplace. According to LinkedIn, 70% of job seekers believe that it's important that recruiters and hiring managers know their gender pronouns, while 72% of hiring managers agree and believe that this shows respect. I'm Nancy Anderson, and in recognition of Pride Month and the positive momentum we're seeing towards a more inclusive society and social space, this episode of the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast explores the impact of this annual event on the communications and marketing industries. We will discuss the use of pronouns and how companies can advocate this in their own practice, how to monitor and address hate speech on social, and we'll also highlight some of the industry campaigns that are getting it right. Then, stick around to hear Donna Tahir, General Manager of Red Havas Middle East, answer our Red Questionnaire. But first up, Richard Clark, Executive Director from Red Havas UK, will introduce our roundtable guests and get our Pride discussion underway. Thanks, Nancy. We have three great guests on the podcast today. First up, Ari Humirang. Ari is part of the concierge and reception team at Havas UK. They are also the DEI ambassador for Havas, as well as the non binary and trans representative for Havas Pride, which is an LGBTQIA network in Havas UK. Ari has also recently published an article on allyship. Next up, we have Dev Mystery. Dev is an internal communications executive for Virgin Media O2. Dev works across company-wide campaigns, consumer announcements, and inclusion. Dev has a diverse experience within communications, having worked across PR, CSR, digital, and internal communications since 2012. Outside of work, Dev is helping to set up a community land trust for LGBTQ plus people and is on the advisory board for The Blueprint, an organisation that champions BAME diversity across the communications industry. And last but not least, we have Christina Roth. Christina is the Senior Manager of Global Marketing and Communications at Manpower Group. Christina works across a multiple of international teams, cross-functionally leading the development and activation of large-scale global campaigns. She also leads the social media strategy, which includes organic, paid and employee social advocacy at Manpower Group. Welcome, everyone. So first, let's start uh, the discussion around addressing pronouns. So we know people are often nervous about how to address others or use pronouns in communications, be that written or verbal, as well as social settings. 
we're seeing uh, more and more people share their preferred pronouns in email signatures and on LinkedIn. So Ari, I wanted to throw the mic to you, uh, first of all, and I wondered if you could just talk to us about your experience with pronouns and how you've helped educate others within your own workplace through DNI training. Yeah, thank you. I think the most important thing is when it comes to pronouns is not being afraid to ask the question on what people prefer to be uh, addressed as. Personally speaking, it's kind of like a bit of a hit and miss with myself. Being non-binary who happens to present female 90% of the time, I don't really make it easy for a lot of people. So that's why I kind of just developed this whole nonchalant kind of way of whatever you feel is more comfortable in how you want to address me to me is absolutely fine. But I think my main kind of like piece of advice in a workplace setup is it's just always be up front and not be afraid in asking the questions. Because I remember when I first started here at Havas, there were a couple people who actually were very uncomfortable in asking the question. And then one person just decided it's not a big deal. Let's just ask better that way. And then moving forward, it just kind of just became what it is now, really. So sometimes I get referred to as he, sometimes I get referred to as she. And then there are the ones who are very by the book who refer to me in the non-binary pronoun as they or them. So you've just, you've given us a little insight there into, into your experience. Are there, and I think you've touched on a few, a few do's, what would you say are the do's and don'ts to, to our listeners, just in terms of what they should know, you know, when it comes to, well, I guess, just that you can talk to as someone from within this community, like what, what would the do's and don'ts be? I think the, the main do's and don'ts is never assume. Just because someone is presented a certain way doesn't mean that they that they would feel comfortable being referred to, you know, with a different pronoun. If you're unsure of how to address someone using pronoun, it's always better to just use their name. I think that those are kind of like the two main things. Um, as I've kind of like trained people um, in the past for um, DNI and sort of like pronoun kind of like specific um, topic, I, those were the kind of like two main things that I've always kind of said to everyone in, in HKX is that never assume and it's always better to refer to them as their name if you're unsure and if you don't want to ask the question. Because I know that to a lot of people, that could be a bit uncomfortable. Christina, then just, just throwing this to, to you, can you talk a little bit more about or just explain your role at Manpower Group um, in terms of educating employees and employers on the sort of, on, you know, on this kind of topic of um, addressing pronouns and, and also sort of, you know, within your role from a social media perspective, how you, how you navigate that? Sure. Yeah, at Manpower Group in global strategic communications, I work cross-functionally with our teams to develop integrated global campaigns and equip our country teams with the resources that will help them activate and localize in their regions. And so many of our campaigns are naturally social-led, especially with the rise of social media usage overall becoming more important as an element in how we reach our audiences and share our brand communications. 
And so for specifically for Pride Month, we were intentional with how we rolled this out and our messaging and chose to focus on you know, how to be an ally and the education around the importance of inclusive language in the workplace. Um, and so we partnered you know, with Red Havas, of course, and our teams from various countries, from Europe to Asia Pacific and North America. And we also worked with our LGBTQ employee business resource group as well, which was a great collaboration. Um, and we developed an in internal employee activation guide um, as well as an external social content series um, that are both to be used internally for our employees and recruiters, as well as externally you know, shared with our clients um, with the goal to give both employees and employers tactical ways to be LGBTQ inclusive and, and really you know, helping to create that inclusive work culture. And Deb, so we've just been hearing um, so sort of a, a personal perspective and just from Christina there in terms of you know, from a kind of a, a company-wide perspective. What about, can you talk to us more brand uh, perspective and a brand point of view? Are, are these sort of conversations um, that you're having at Virgin Media O2? Yeah, 100% we are. And I think they happen on a, a variety of different levels as well. So I think from a brand point of view and external marketing, especially, um, looking at kind of not just the the visible diversity um, that you might see, but also looking at the different aspects of communities that we can include. And we've definitely seen a shift over the past few years just about having that diversity and opening up kind of the conversations around creativity in those areas as well. I think from an internal point of view, in terms of an internal brand, for us, we've always been quite playful and um, very curious as well. And I think what was great this year was that proactively, internally, we went out with kind of really inclusive messaging, but gave people the opportunity to include their pronouns and their signatures or um, champion kind of opportunities where we could say on Workplace or even LinkedIn and highlighted them to people. Um, but it's also about doing that explanation work as well to, to people and customers as well, just explaining why adding pronouns or inclusive language might be important for inclusivity because actually you're making it easier or more comfortable for people to engage with you um, because you, you're recognising kind of some of the similarities that you have as well. I think from a brand point of view as well, in terms of comms as well, had a really interesting conversation recently about grammar and the functionality of, um, of words and communications and actually how using sometimes using they them pronouns was difficult because people are always kind of uh, trained to write he him she her etc but actually we kind of just dismiss that that whole thought because actually they them kind of using those pronouns is is in our vocabulary already we just don't think about it they the words and the pronouns fit perfectly already in sentence structure etc so sometimes it's just that preconceived conception that we have that we kind of need to break down first. All of you champion uh, D&I in, in your respective roles and respective companies. So um, I'm just interested to sort of hear um, from each of you about, you know, sort of, well, I guess, talking to the importance um, of championing D&I, um, first of all, and sort of how you you know, empower and, and educate others um, to do the same. So I think we're sort of, this one is would be particularly sort of interesting to hear about, you know, unpacking for people how you can strive to really become more aware in, in the workplace. So 
Christina, could I could I start with you? Yeah, sure. And and from an employee, you know, perspective and personally, you know, believe that it's you know everyone's responsibility to support and to make the work environment more inclusive. And and it's really to everyone's benefit um, to be a part of it and and to help create a place a workplace that is welcoming and inclusive and diversive. Um, and although there has been some good progress, we know you know there's still a long way to go. And so would advise, you know, everyone to continue to learn and to grow, you know, be open and empathetic, uh, really to other people's perspectives and their journey. And, you know, ask if you're not sure, like Ari mentioned, and um, educate yourself on the history behind diverse groups, especially the LGBTQ community. And I'll say, you know, from a client perspective, you know, as employers in society, you know, should all be asking, you know, what more can we do to make sure there's meaningful jobs and competitive wages and equitable promotions and wider opportunities uh, that are available for all. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and at Manpower Group, our teams, you know, we, we work and partner around the world with clients on their talent strategies and help them align on their with their DNI ambitions um, with actionable plans to hire more inclusively and to keep the diverse talent that they hire, um, which of course includes both their full-time employees as well as their contingent workforce and suppliers. In fact, our, our talent solutions brand just released a, pod, a podcast similar um, that our clients have been asking for more about with regard to, you know, the ROI of DEI and the importance of data that showcases um, that ROI as far as measuring diversity inclusive cultures. Um, and we know it's not just the right thing to do, but it also achieves better business outcomes as well. And Ari, from your sort of just back to your, your own sort of personal experience. So like myself, you also work at Havas, um, and you know we've we've talked a lot about you know the importance of DNI from a, um, a Havas perspective. How how did you feel um, or come to feel comfortable about you know bringing your true self to work? I think that kind of like sets that that's already kind of like a set thing that I that I have. I've learned as I've kind of grown sort of older and sort of found my footing in society and sort of, you know, who I am as an individual is that I always bring my true self right from the very beginning of the interview up until whether they like me and they're going to hire me or not. And it was the same exact thing for, for Havas, whereas right from the very beginning, I immediately showed them that who I am as an individual, um, and it was a very welcoming, um, it was a very welcoming kind of um, situation because I felt accepted right there and then at the interview. And then as soon as I started working here at Havas, um, it was as if like I kind of immediately fit in. So I didn't have to sort of maybe sort of hide. I, I don't want to say hide, but could, for lack of a better word, sort of hide who I am, whereas like in, in the past, before I've became comfortable in, in who I am, that was something that I used to do a lot is that I would always sort of, you know, hide who I am at first and then sort of get a kind of general feel of the lay of the land to see if these people are going to be accepting towards me or not. And then if not, then obviously it will be kind of like a more toned down version. I want to say not that I'm a crazy or anything like that, but just like um, I just feel like 
I just feel like in this in 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 the Havas environment, I was kind of like given the freedom to be who I am and to show my true self right from the very beginning. So I didn't have any problems in this workplace. And that's why I kind of like as sort of, you know, as as kind of cheesy as it is, I that that's why I kind of like working for Havas. It's because I I was accepted right from the very beginning and it wasn't a case where I had to work around everyone to be accepted, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And Dev then, so from a um an internal comm perspective, so no doubt there are thousands of colleagues and employees where you work, where do you start in terms of looking at trying to, you know, empower and educate people? I think a lot of the time people start with their, what are we going to do? And they immediately go out and say, this is what we're going to do without thinking about A, how are we going to do it? But also more importantly, why? Now, I think if you miss out the why in a lot of these conversations, you turn off a lot of people, you, you immediately exclude a lot of people from understanding how they can get involved and the reason and and getting get getting up to speed really. So I think from an internal comms perspective, I'd always say communicate the why very early on, so that when the what comes and the how comes along and the when, people are already starting to come on board with it. I think that's really important. I think from an internal comms perspective as well, what I found really lovely at Virgin Media is sometimes we just proactively do small things that make a huge difference and we embed it into everyday communication. So things like automatically subtitling videos or having closed captioning on live streams or ensuring that every time we send out a piece of comms there's kind of alternative text behind it so people using screen readers can uh, get involved but also kind of when we're sharing creatives that we share creatives that might have less bright colors that make it easier for people to read as well um and then talking about reading just making sure that the language and the vocabulary that we use is inclusive to everyone i think when you've got a, an organization where you have got thousands and thousands of people doing doing a variety of roles there is also a variety in understanding of kind of language and vocabulary and i think sometimes businesses and organizations and comms people, <laughs> we love to use kind of the thesaurus um, mm -hmm. and just chuck big words out there. But actually, half the time, the majority of people don't know what those words mean. And that's, again, really kind of, it, it's not inclusive at all. The next part of the discussion, I just want to just turn it to, um, well, just to explore a bit more around, you know, how um, and Deb, you were just sort of, you know, just talking a bit from, you know, an internal perspective about, um, you know, just small acts um, or behaviours or things that you can do um, to, to, you know, to, to help um, and, and change and empower. Um, it's Pride Month. Um, and you know, in the US and the UK and in sort of other parts of the world. So it would be good to just have a little conversation around um, marketing efforts um you know sort of uh, uh, under pride so um there's been a lot of debate about you know how to go beyond the rainbow and sort of look to really make 
you know, a meaningful and sort of impactful um, or purposeful impact. And that's certainly something that we, we look to do at Red Have Us. You know, lots of brands are sort of switching up their logos, they're going rainbow, but, you know, there is, there is I think, you know, there's really so much more that, that you can do. I'll, I'll ask you first, Christina, just, um, you know, it would be good to sort of just hear from you um, to touch on, you know, um, the Manpower Group Pride campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be good to hear a bit more about, about that in particular. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's expected now that brands become more and more involved in their social impact and and businesses, you know, have a responsibility to be a positive, you know, contribution to society. Um, And for our, the Manpower Group Pride campaign, um, and for Pride Month, which we know, you know, is celebrated around the world at different times throughout the year. um, But for June, and for the past several years, you know, we've used this time to celebrate the LGBT community. And, and amplify diversity of talent and inclusion at work. And over the past year, you know, with the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, we've been hearing greater interest from our employees um, around social justice. And as a purpose-driven organization, you know, you talk about the why, Dev, you know, what we do every day, finding meaningful, sustainable work for millions of people around the world, and really seeing that that our company's voice and communications around our purpose and creating more equal workplaces is more important than ever. Um, And so for this year's Pride campaign, we really wanted to move beyond just the color washing of our brand like so many other organizations do and really use this opportunity to share a deeper perspective through our actions as workforce experts on what it takes to attract a diverse workforce and build inclusive environments. Um, where everyone can bring their full selves uh, to work and unleash their full potential, which ultimately provides the best business outcomes as well. Mm-hmm. And we know there's still there's still concerns, um, you know, that surround the LGBTQ um, employees with coming out at work. In fact, um, to be more data driven in our approach this month, our teams are actively surveying employees and, and members of the LGBTQ community across Southern and Eastern Europe about the implications of coming out at work and the impact of the pandemic in working remote. So we're excited to see more of those insights come through in the near future. So stay tuned, um, you know, follow us on social to hear more uh, to come on that. Um, but on social, you know, we launched a content series that unpacked the power of words at work. And, and the idea um, around words at work was created and based on a simple old saying, if you remember from childhood, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Mm -hmm. But actually what we know is that that old saying is not true and that words have enormous power and they have the power to build as well as to hurt and and they can make people feel either included or excluded. So we we focused um, the campaign around allyship and education for what people can do to better support the LGBTQ community. Um, and examples of this included, you know, things like understanding proper terminology and explaining how to use the terms properly by highlighting, you know, common mistakes or what not to do. For an example, you know, using the word gay over homosexual. Um, we also tackled pronouns and the do's and don'ts when discussing identity, whether it's in the hiring process or through our internal and external communications. Another one was around um, being an active witness and how to intervene when you do witness homophobic comments, slurs, or jokes. So those are just a few examples. And, you know, we use this for our, with our employees and we created, um, we also created an internal activation guide with, you know, educational resources and then options for how to engage at work. So uh, similar to, to Dev, uh, you know, using 
email signature templates for adding the pronouns and some cool media, social media frames for sharing on social and in our virtual meetings. So it's been fun to see all the ways that our employees are engaging as well and sharing and tagging us on, on social. And um, it's also been great to see our country teams adapting this for their audiences and, and further elevating that conversation and, um, and sharing the value to clients and, and candidates. I want to put that question to you because we've just been hearing from Christine obviously talking you know very much going about sort of beyond color washing it would be really interesting to hear from you if you have you know are there do you have examples from you know from your experience and your role of brands that uh, are doing it well or brands that you 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 know you wouldn't be you wouldn't mind sort of saying you think you know could be doing it better the brands that do it really well for me are brands that support different LGBTQ plus initiatives and communities throughout the whole year um, rather than just in pride and I think this is where the notion of rainbow washing comes from um, mm -hmm. so essentially on on June 1st at 00.01 brands will change all their logos to rainbows and kind of embed the progress flag and the pride flag across all their different socials and marketing and then as soon as it hits um, 2359 on June the 30th they take it all down mm -hmm. and and for me that is just really performative and it doesn't show any any actual kind of impact or acknowledgement of um, what's actually happening with the LGBTQ plus community they're literally in it for the pink pound in the UK a really great example of a brand that has kind of stepped away from that is um, the co-op brand in the UK and actually they did a really good thread on actually why they weren't rainbow washing their logo on socials and actually stated that they do a lot of work for LGBT, LGBTQ plus communities across the whole year and actually just by highlighting a pride highlighting it in pride month doesn't actually do anything it doesn't signify anything um, and while it's good to show that support there's so many ways in which you can do that um, outside of the month of June and that was really really important I think another one for me uh, and another brand that does it really well is Starbucks especially in the UK with their um, partnership with mermaids um, and actually how they carry that partnership throughout the year it's within their purpose and actually they have that support um, all across different levels of their business as well and for me it's really interesting because they're a very purpose-led business and they've embedded this into their purpose. So actually when they do put the rainbow flag on their socials or on their logos, for me, I feel like I can trust them because I know that there is kind of the context there and there is the support there all year round. I think what we've seen this year is a, a lot of people, especially on social, calling out brands who, who are just literally rainbow washing uh, their social accounts just for the month of June or, or their marketing. And you've seen quite a few, I think, we saw when you look at Uber, they've, they've changed kind of the, <laughs> the taxi to your destination. That route is now kind of a, a moving rainbow, um, mm. which is very oh, odd because mm. <laughs> it's so cringe. But then you saw there was one great example on Twitter and it was um, Hornby's trains um, and they're like toy trains and they, they created kind of a rainbow variant and they, they tweeted, they were like, this is the support Pride Month, but we're not going to give any of our profits to any Pride charities. We just wanted to do this to show our support. And it landed so badly and kind of the feedback was so bad that actually they turned around and said, look, we really, 
we realise we made a mistake. We really want to know how we can improve. So we're donating X percent from these models to a charity, but we need your help in choosing one um, to donate to. And I mean, that's a step, but also it's, again, relying on LGBTQ plus people to make decisions and have to force brands to, to take action. Um, so there are a few there. And I think one of the one of the big takeaways is that context of what are you actually doing to support LGBTQ plus communities throughout the year or any initiatives, et cetera, and linking that with your campaigns and branding. Otherwise, people will most likely just see the one thing that you put out, which is kind of one way advertising, and they will see that rainbow kind of bannered logo, but they won't see any of the other work that your brand has done in those uh, arenas. I'm interested to hear then that, so I guess as, as you know, more and more brands are expressing their support and sort of allyship externally, be that in the month of June, you know, or, you know, on a more ongoing basis throughout the year, you know, in inevitably, you know, from a, if it's a, you know, a positive act in terms of trying to show their support or their allyship, it will inevitably open up, you know, you know, particularly online, it will open up, you know, what, what could potentially be a negative, um, a negative, you know, just open up negative commentary, etc. So, how how do um, how do brands monitor for things like hate speech on social media and other digital platforms? And I guess what does what does success look like in these in these endeavors? Christina, it would be, it would be good to hear from you um, on that question. Sure. Um, so we use our social and brand monitoring tools to listen, you know, across our brands with our audiences and. Um, you know, for this particular campaign, we were mindful, you know, obviously, you know, what this topic can bring both from a positive and from a negative perspective. And, and because it is a, it is a sensitive topic. And, and of course, what that brings, you know, differences of opinions. And, you know, we also operate in countries where laws and religious views can be tricky and, and they can be tough for the LGBTQ community. And so we approach this with, you know, kind of monitoring and respecting people's views and, and listening and watching the engagement. A lot of times you see, you know, people engaging with each other on, on, on your content. Um, but we're also, you know, adhering to, you know, not tolerating hate speech or profanity or disrespect of any kind. And, and as a society, you know, it is a reminder to see how far we've come, but yet how far we need to go in, in, in accepting people for who they are. And, and, you know, at, at Manpower Group, it's, you know, in our values to respect individuals as a whole um, and the role of work in our lives and, and which is the basic belief, you know, that everyone should have the opportunity to work. Um, and even on the flip side, you know, we've also heard, especially around the pronoun conversation, um, you know, hearing people say, well, that's ironic, you know, coming from a company called Manpower Group, um, which is also, you know, a worthy discussion too. Um, so it, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe perhaps we should, you know, be called human power group, joking aside. But again, there's, you know, there's a balance. And I think um, to the success in that is that, you know, we continue to listen and learn and, and champion allyship and diversity inclusion in the workplace. I was just going to add something to Christina, um, to what Christina said. And, I, I, and this is more just kind of like... Um, 
I wish that more companies um, would be sort of, you know, uh, be more mindful, like manpower would be, because last summer, I'm sort of just kind of like, you know, speaking on the whole kind of like hate speech on social media platform for companies and allyship, is that um, last summer I did a um, sort of uh, campaign with Reese's Chocolate, um, uh, and I wore an orange dress in the campaign and when they posted it on social and also it was on Instagram it wasn't like they cared about the comments that was being put alongside the social post and I like like what like what Christina mentioned earlier is that you know like as much as you say to people like stick and stones won't break my bones but you know words kind of like won't hurt me they do hurt because like reading comments saying that oh that's a man in a dress or like the green pukey emoji like all over it it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's it's not nice to see because it hurts me as an individual and it hurts kind of like my sort of like way to put out creative outlet and I only did that because one of the people that we work with here in Havas approached me and said, you'd be really great for this campaign. But the fact that no one went through and filtered the comments for like all these kind of like hate speech and it was just kind of like made as a free for all, that was definitely not a successful one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I just wish that like more companies would be more mindful, like manpower would be, regardless of whether the company is called manpower and they talk about sort of, you know, diversity and whatnot. And some people may think that that's ironic. And Ari, I'm so sorry that you experienced that and you didn't have that support because actually there is brands and organisations have a responsibility for people that they feature in their campaigns and in their social content and even their employees as well. And actually by not taking on that responsibility and leaving people to face kind of harassment and abuse without Mm. responding to it, and without protecting their people, whether they're employees or ambassadors or influencers, is a real kind of neglect of that responsibility, but also shows you what those brands are really like. Because actually, if there is a fear of kind of using, if, if, if there's a fear of responding to negative criticism or, or abuse in that way, then it shows that brands don't really care about the people that they're putting out there and actually shows that they're kind of monetizing on a protected characteristic or a trait or, or an identity. And that's all they care about. And that's, that's definitely what we can take from some of these examples and situations as well. Agreed. Agreed. Cause I, I definitely felt like a queer token in that moment, mm-hmm. like a token queer, sorry. Mm-hmm. Because it's just to kind of bring this conversation to a close, I think it would be good to hear like, what are the what are the one to two things that you know you think you know brands or companies should be doing in terms of their marketing efforts to really make a meaningful impact in DNI communications. Be that well, it's internally and externally. It's absolutely both. Um, so I'm happy to kick off. Um, I think the one the the top thing I would say is have have that diversity in the room when you're coming up with these campaigns, concepts, ideas, processes. If you have the same type of person 
repeated like six or seven times, you're always going to get the same train of thought. It might be slightly different, but people who are the same don't share those different experiences. And actually, I think sometimes when brands fail really hard, when you look at the people in the room, there isn't that diversity there. Um, and that's really important across all levels of your business. So that's one thing that I would say. My second one would be from an internal point of view, your people are your biggest asset. Uh, your people are your biggest advocates as well. So if you're not listening to them and if you're not talking to them and you're not engaging them before making big decisions and big plans, then you're not necessarily doing it right. So for any big kind of campaigns that you're going out there where there is someone, uh, a, a big diversity angle um, associated with it, or if you're going to talk on a specific issue, a lot of businesses have employee resource groups or support groups and uh, or networks talk to them, get their consultation, use them as friendly critics, use, use that resource and use that advocacy and passion to help shape what you're putting out there. And it becomes a lot more authentic almost automatically. So that would be my advice. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll jump in. I mean, I think, you know, the idea of, you know, DNI communications, um, it seems to be our, just our new way of being and, and, and thank goodness, right. And beyond just pride month, um, that we have gotten to this place where we're focused on it and I think it'll continue to grow. Um, and so, you know, being that it's not just a one and done with pride month, but going beyond, you know, as we integrate, you know, the use of pronouns and, and, and more frequently and, and how it's shaping our culture and our recruitment strategies, especially, um, for the future of work. And the second piece I would say is, um, to over-communicate, um, you know, at, at free, more frequently, internally, externally, and, and, and at speed to really reinforce the message um, that supports, you know, inclusiveness um, and that importance of education, I think, is really key as well as you start learning, um, you know, the more and more, you know, um, and, and sharing with your team, especially at work, um, and eventually, you know, that will continue to to um, you know, be spread throughout and and how we recruit and and uh, put people to work. Um, what they both said? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I think I think um, I I can't really add more to what Dev and Christina have said because I feel that what they both have um, kind of like mentioned as their two things that they you know they think would be really meaningful both internal and external for for communications relating to DNI and also you know that's in and out of Pride Month is is definitely like the main things that a lot of companies should really focus on. And I, I honestly couldn't add anything more to what they said because they said it perfectly and beautifully. So yes, queen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love gonna, it. <laughs> I was just going to uh, add actually one last ahead, thing. Dave. Yeah, of course. And it's, if you're going to say, and this is, I'm going to talk about this in the context of pride. If you're going to say you support pride, say it with your whole chest um, mm -hmm. as a brand, as an organization, don't pick and choose when what parts of pride you want to support. I think that is the most important um, part here. And that goes for any kind of DE&I communication. If you are talking about an issue and you want to support it, support it fully. Because, because we as kind of, and I talk as we, but... I myself from the LGBTQ plus community as a South Asian gay man. 
I have to live these issues fully my whole life um, and I don't get to pick and choose what parts I want to um, be a part of. So I, I just say that as well. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's a great way to, to end our conversation. Thank you all. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you, you for having, having us. us. Joining us for the Red Questionnaire this month is Dana Tahir. With over 14 years of experience in the PR and comms industry, Dana has been a pillar at Havas Middle East, where her role has spanned across all aspects of the agency's growth and overall operations. More recently, Dana has been responsible for leading the agency's transition to Red Havas, aligning with the global strategic direction of the group. Hi, Dana, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Shiloh. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. Lovely to have you. Let's kick off. Can you tell us about your first job and how that's led you to where you are today? So my first job uh, started as a junior communication executive at Lee Burnett, where I stayed there for almost a year and a half working on the Procter & Gamble account. I've then joined Red Havas, which was formerly known as Your RSCG back then. I've joined as a senior executive in 2008. Today, I am the general manager of Red Havas. And to be honest, it's been quite a journey. And I believe it only shows when a company believes in you, uh, you can simply go places. Havas to me here is like my second home and my team are family. Oh, that's so lovely to hear. I think I'm the same. I've sort of been with the the group for now going on about five and a half years, but it's a lovely organization to work for. And and really nice to hear that you sort of, you know, really worked your way up over the last, gosh, over 10 years now, which is, which is Yeah, it's been 12 years. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I guess, you know, from your early days, you know, working hard on the Procter & Gamble account, you know, to now, are you someone that's an early riser or one who burns the midnight oil and sort of likes working into the evening? What's your preference? Definitely burn the midnight oil. However, I'm a new mom for the second time. I've recently given child to my second uh, uh, child. Thank you. So I've learned to find the right balance between spending time I'm waking up early, doing my workout, spending time with my kids, and then trying to do my own thing at night. But uh, personally, like, I'm a night person. Yeah, oh, that's so interesting to hear. And how does your team work in Dubai? Um, it's different. I can't really tell. Like, a difference from, it's different from person to person. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the pandemic has really, you know, given way to sort of that flexibility um, okay. and giving everyone the option to sort of, you know, obviously being around in core hours, but that flexibility as well to do the things, as you say, like hang out with your kids or or go to the gym and and get in that late night workout, as you said. Yes. Now, obviously, um, speaking of the pandemic, it's really disrupted travel in particular, um, but hopefully we'll be able to explore more of the world soon. Do you know how many stamps you have in your passport or do you have any anecdotes to share about some of your travels? Honestly, this was a very interesting question. So when I was reading your questions, I flipped through my passport and I realized like I'm 38. So for 30, 31 years, I've had around three to four stamps in my passport. And it's only when I got married to my husband six years ago that I started traveling. So when I was counting, it was over 13 stamps, which was quite interesting. And in 2020, I've had one stamp, which was basically my flight to Canada to give birth to my son. Uh, I'm really hoping this year things would open up up and I'll be able to have some time to travel again. Yes, absolutely. Me too. I think, you know, we've all really missed that luxury of just 
hopping on a plane and, and traveling somewhere nearby or even to see family. I think um, we're all looking forward to that when that comes back. <laughs> yes. Now back to the world of PR and social. Who is someone you enjoy following on social media? Um, I, I'm a very visual person, so and they usually say a picture is worth a thousand words, but combining picture with, with words, it definitely says a lot. So I like to follow an, um, an account called Niche. So it's basically an art, uh, an account that curates a gallery of famous people and black and white photos. And I find this has a raw realness that captures the essence of the subject. So the account portrays an image with a famous quote of that person or words that tell a story or a philosophy in life. And one of my favorite pictures was a picture of Albert Elbaz with a quote that says, it's not about screaming, it's about whispering. And when you scream, everybody hears, but not everybody listens. And when you whisper, maybe not too many people hear, but it just goes deeper. So this was like an interesting uh, quote, an account that I like to follow. Oh, lovely. I think a lot of, you know, those more inspirational quotes and, you know, things around motivation on social media in particular have really sort of grown over the last year as well, just in terms of keeping people going as well. So, yeah, that's nice. To yeah, it allows you, yeah, it just allows you to disconnect from like the politics and like everything that's happening in the world. It's nice to just disconnect and be inspired by other people and different things. Yeah, absolutely. So back to the headlines then, <laughs> can you tell us one headline that is grabbing your attention right now and why? For me, one of the main reoccurring topics that has been grabbing my attention recently is the revolution and how we work. And what I mean by this is that all the new policies that companies have uh, started implementing, whether it's working from home or choosing a hybrid model, or in some cases returning to the office completely. And I find this such an interesting topic or a conversation because I'm such a people's person. I love coming to the office, I love being around my team. However, during the pandemic, uh, it was very difficult for me because we had to work from home the entire time, let alone being on complete lockdown for months. So 2020 has opened my eyes to a lot of new things and new ways of working and finding the right balance. Um, I trust my team. I give them the freedom to do whatever is convenient to them as long as the job is done. Great. And how are you really tackling this in your office in Dubai? So in Dubai, we've recently adopted a hybrid model in our offices. And even with this model, there's been a lot of questions on shall your employee pick the working from home days or shall managers select these, these days for, for, for the employees. And according to a recent study by Harvard Business, which I've read like I think two or three days ago, they advise companies to encourage managers to choose different uh, uh, their office days for two simple reasons. Like one is the challenge of managing a hybrid team, which can generate like two different groups. So you have the officing group and a home out group. And the second main concern is the risk of diversity. Like we've seen that a lot of mothers, for example, with children, I think it was over like 60, 70% didn't want to come back home. So again, as I mentioned, like the pandemic has started this revolution in how we work and uh, just research, research again has shown that this can make firms more productive and please happier. But like all other revolution, it's very difficult to navigate and firms really need leadership from the top to ensure that the workforce remains diverse and truly inclusive. And I believe it's an ongoing conversation, you know, like there's new uh, ways of working that are still being talked about. So I think this is an interesting thing uh, that uh, I'd like to see how it will progress. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
you know, I bet all leaders are sort of navigating this one differently, you know, because everyone in the team sort of has different needs and different comfort levels as well in terms of returning back to the workplace. But great to sort of hear how you're innovating in Dubai. Yes, and I think it has been uh, well received by our team, just giving them the freedom of like coming, it's a balance between coming to work and still keeping the culture, because I think culture is like a main uh, main, main, main important element of your organization. Absolutely. And I think in, you know, in our world, in the creative space as well, culture and creativity sort of go hand in hand. And it's really nice to sort of have that in-person communication for those specific parts of yes. that as well. So finally, to sort of wrap things up, after what has been, I guess, one of the most challenging years for all industries and workforces, what's your message of encouragement for the future? Again, this past year has taught us a lot. It definitely reinforced the importance of being around family and loved ones and having both this emotional and psychological support, as well as, I think, appreciating the value of time more than ever before. So I would say just spend as much time as possible with those who inspire you. It's even what you believe in and can work together and support each other, basically to build a better ecosystem where both like you, there's the individual and collective well-being is the priority. Absolutely. I think, you know, putting well-being first is is quite crucial and key. So that's really nice to hear, particularly from someone who's, you know, a leader of, of a team. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dana. It was lovely to sort of feature you on, on the podcast and hear what's going on in the Middle East. Love to catch up with you again and, and speak soon. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining the Red Sky Fuel for Thought podcast. We hope you'll join us again for more of the latest communications, insights, and trends from the team at Red Havas. Please make sure to subscribe to the show using your favorite podcasting app. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. And don't forget to rate and review today's show. We'd love to hear from you.